This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, <laughs> did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is my dear friend, Nicole Avant. Nicole is a producer, a philanthropist, and the author of Think You'll Be Happy, her beautiful and inspiring memoir, which centers around her late mother, Jacqueline Avant. It's also about resiliency, forgiveness, faith, and how we metabolize tragedy. In our conversation today, Nicole and I talked about her mother, Jackie, and her father, Clarence, the legendary music executive who created such a big, full life for himself and his family and his community. As Nicole said, he loved seeing people's dreams come true. I admire Nicole's strength, her faith, and her commitment to service, even when it's extremely difficult to do so. And it's a gift to witness her honoring her ancestors in the process and to soak up every drop of wisdom from her. Let's get to Nicole Avant. First of all, I just have to say how amazing the book is. Thank you. You know, it's funny when you have a friend that works on something kind of in private and you know they're yeah. hard at work at something, but you have no idea how it's going to manifest in the world. Mm -hmm. Remember you had, you were like going to write a book before yes. this all yes. happened as yes. I was remembering. Yes. Correct. So I wanted to ask you because, you know, the, the book really centers around or sort of the larger context for the book is around the death of your mother. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into sort of how that rebirthed you in right. a way. But you were going to write a book before this happened. I was. So tell me what the impetus for that book, like what were you going to write? So I was doing press for The Black Godfather, the documentary that I made on Clarence, my dad. And I was at a film festival in Martha's Vineyard. And there was a publisher 
in the audience and she came up to me afterwards and she said, listen, you have a book. I'm listening to your Q&A and I think there are some themes out of the movie that mm. people need to to remember again. I think there's a lull in society. You know, there's just this this sensitivity, this lack of wanting to get up and try it again or what have you. So I thought, okay, well, I don't I don't know really know where to go with that. And then I started thinking about the themes and I watched the movie again a couple times. And then I meditated one day and maybe a week later it was this is about grit, it's about grace, and it's about gratitude. Those are the themes you should start working on. And Pertaining then I, to your father, mostly. Yeah, and, per, yeah, and, and a, a little bit to my mom, too, but a lot of the grace she brought in. But I was like, yes, these are some themes that I think need to be brought back into, mm. to, into life now. But what they all had in common, everybody that I, that I had interviewed for The Black Godfather, all of them starting with, you know, even Andrew Young, you know, he was... Dr. King's right hand, getting beaten up in the streets, getting bricks thrown at him, you know, but continuing the march, continuing staying focused, just being resilient. Does it mean, and resilience doesn't mean that you're not hurt. It doesn't mean that you're not crying. It doesn't mean that you don't want to quit. It's just that you get up and do it again. But, but the feelings of this is horrible. And, but I'm thinking of other people. I'm thinking about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And i that's where I kind of started. And then the book was kind of all over the place. And it wasn't really landing where I wanted it to. And then the unimaginable happened with my mom. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I called my publisher and I said, I can't write a book on grit, grace, and gratitude. I can't, I can't do this right now. And then it was mm -hmm. the text my mom sent. And we started thinking about different things and... Here I am with Think You'll Be Happy. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how life sort of throws you yeah. these things? I mean, it's it's really incredible to think about where you started the journey from and then reading the book, seeing the impact that your mother made on you. In a way, it struck me like, wow, the, the separation from your mother mm -hmm. let you fully see and feel yes. your mother 100% and 100% forgive your mother and love your mother yes. I mean not that you didn't but right. it's almost like it was it humanized her for you in this 100%. way 100% and you get to to your point you get to step back the lens is much longer and the photographs yeah. changed everything you know she was so organized and diligent with all I mean there are a hundred photo albums that she did by herself she archived everything. She saved every award that I've won, every trophy, every birthday party, I mean, everything she did on her own. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, okay. And to your point, and then I found her high school yearbooks. Mm -hmm. And that was soul crushing, but also liberating because I would read her words when she was 17 and 18 and the poetry she'd write. And then I'd find her throughout the yearbook and it wasn't best looking, best this. It was like, done most for Adams High School, Jacqueline Gray. And so I was like, of course that's her. Of course she did most for Adams. Of course, she always showed up right. and she did those things. And as you know, it, it, at one point in the book, I'm really happy that I got it in the book, which is the last, I think it was nine, the last birthday I had with her. We're born on the same day. Yep. 
we were able to have this great conversation that opened the door for forgiveness, it opened the door for healing, it opened the door for understanding. And I had tried to have that conversation with her years before, and it was, oh, anyway, you know. <laughs> I said, never mind, okay, forget it. And then when she brought it up, it was so great that that's what COVID did for her. It was, I'm in my house, I'm not zipping around, I can't go serve the communities, you know, what I'm usually doing. And she had a lot of time to ponder. And she looked at me and she said, and I love what she said, she goes, I'm so sorry for pinching your heart. I pinched your heart. Mm. And I went, what? Where is this coming from? And she said, Nicole, when I was correcting your behavior, I thought I was clear of correcting your behavior. I wasn't trying to dishonor your soul. I wasn't trying to say your soul was wrong. I was trying to say your behavior was wrong. And she was big on discipline, and I'm grateful for Mm -hmm. that. But it was so great that she said, but now I can look back and see that a six-year-old mind and a 10-year-old mind can't really make that distinction as an adult would. And, and maybe there was some extra spin on it that she felt like yeah. guilty for, you yes. know, about when she yes. felt back. She did. She did. She said, you know, you, and she, she did feel guilty. She said, you know, you, you asked me 25 years ago, was there anything that you want to talk about that I, that I could, you know, ask for forgiveness. And when I brought it up, she just, you know, well, I did this for you and I did that for you. She was going on and on. I said, okay, then we don't need to have the conversation. And, and then, you were trying to give her the opportunity to make a repair. Yes. Yes. And she would, she didn't want to go deep to do the repair. And yeah. as you know, you have to go deep to do a repair. We can all put a Band-Aid. Yes. But the repair, you have to really it, go it very, hurts. Very, it and, hurts. And it's not sort of endemic to that generation of, no. you know, they, they're yes. like fighters. They want to get through it and yes. have a stiff upper lip. And yes. And I, they had to. They had to. Actually, they really had to. And I think we need to honor that as opposed mm-hmm. to look at it as, oh, I wish their generation was. That. No, if their generation wasn't that way, we wouldn't have what we have yeah, today. We wouldn't be overcorrecting no, and spoiling and, our children with <laughs> no, too much emotional too, literacy. Right. <laughs> and, and also, but, you know, her point was, Nicole, all, my friends and I, we're smart. We went to school. We did things. But and it, black women, white women, all women, doesn't matter. But it was doors weren't open the way they were so they had to have that stiff upper lip and and they and the one thing that she had she said the one thing that no one could take away from you is your dignity that you have to give away wow so that was one of her greatest lessons like you can lose a lot but you do not have to give your dignity away which her generation had in spades the Mm -hmm. generations before them had it in spades and as i talk about in the book i mean you know, she's World War II was going on when she yeah. was growing up. So for her, it was like the president was serve everyone. You know, and then Kennedy, everybody afterwards served. So yeah. the whole the whole message of the nation at the time was very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and culture has changed so much since. Yes. Then. So you know, I've never really asked you this question because I was just sort of there with you. Yeah. But. In retrospect, like, how did you even begin to metabolize this idea that your mother was killed? Like, I think we all know on some level, one day we're going to lose our parents. Right. But this is so... This is on a different level. This was... The only... You know, it's interesting. I remember looking at myself in the mirror 
And my father was downstairs, and he was completely just, I mean, he was, he was too much shy of 91 when it happened. So he was like a, an infant. And I knew I had an infant downstairs, and I thought, okay, okay, okay. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and asking myself these questions, and it was, what, am I, what do I say? What do I do? How do I behave? And I kept doing all these things. And then finally I just said, okay, Nicole, who do you want to be? in this moment? Who do you have to be in this moment? And I remember looking at myself saying, I am a courageous woman, and I'm also terribly shattered. Mm -hmm. And I am a constructive thinker, and I am heartbroken. I mean, I had to go into that yes and, which helped me. I'm all of it. Yeah, yeah, all of it. I'm all of it. it. I'm not one or the other. I'm just all of this. I am shattered, and I am also very focused on my father, and I don't know how we're going to get through this, and I do not know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I do believe in tomorrow. I've I've always believed in tomorrow. I love tomorrow. I love thinking about it. I, I never really go back to yesterday because I do believe that, you know, mercy is new every day, and you could start over every day. So I would just say to myself, I don't know. I'm just going to get through the next five minutes. But it was it was pain on a level that I have never felt. And I don't know if it'll ever leave. I think mm-hmm. I'm in repair mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. And I've accepted the fact that I will be in repair in this lifetime. Yeah. So what are your, what are the things that you do to continue to make that repair? And do you feel like on a cellular level, the trauma is still in your body? You know, what's interesting. It's, there was this meditation that I found on YouTube before this happened. And it was so interesting that he would say, release all shock trauma. So on the out breath, all shock trauma. And I thought, shock? Trauma and stress. Shock, trauma, and stress. And I was like, okay, I don't really have any shock, trauma, and stress. And then, you know, then it comes, oh, my gosh, I have all this shock and trauma and stress. And so the deep breathing for me is what I want to bring in, you know, so I would breathe in peace and calm and focus, and I would breathe out the shock and the trauma and the stress I did lots of body work. I had people come because it would just lodge in my body in different places. Mm-hmm. Getting in the bath. I mean, what the last text my mom sent to me was I was running a bath. And that was our last moment of speaking. And so that became a new ritual. I mean, I was already taking baths every night, but this now is a real ritual every night. And now I speak to my mom every night when I get into the bathtub. I just changed it. And that is my time to talk to her, and as I said to you before and in the book, it's not even about hearing her back or if I feel anything or not. It's good for me to talk, and so a lot of it was, I almost treated it as if she was my therapist, and I would get into the bath and scream and cry, and I was in such pain, mm. and I was able to get it out, and it was safe for me in that room with the door closed, and. You know, Teddy, my husband said he would walk by sometimes and him just listening to me wail. Mm. He said it was just so heartbreaking. He goes, but I also know it was really healing for you. Therapeutic. Yes, very, very therapeutic. I think we don't know how to do that very well. So I I think it's amazing that you gave yourself that. Yeah, because I was going to go. I mean, I was... I I really, it was just too much. I honestly, and to be honest with you, the blessing that I had out of that was my father, was having an elderly person that I loved so much 
who I knew was shattered and in shock. And then it, I was able to share it with him. So it wasn't as if, well, how do I fix myself? It became my energy went towards someone who really, really needed to be loved and nurtured and safe and to feel safe. And th that was my goal. I said to Ted, the goal here is that Clarence feels loved yeah. and he feels welcome and nurtured and safe. And if we could do that, if we could do that, it's not gonna, he's not going to feel that way every day. But our intention needs mm -hmm. to be that every day. And such a gift that, in a way, you could be with him, grieve with him, process yes. with him. Yes. But knowing that you had to be a caretaker. Yes. And, and, and I don't know, sometimes I reflect on that almost two years that you had with him yeah. where, you know, after your mother passed, he moved in and you barely left his side. Nope. Yeah. And as like the ultimate daddy's girl, yes. watching what transpired between the two of you for those mm. two years and your incredible patience. Thank you. And deep love and acceptance. It was, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever oh, witnessed in my life. Thank you. And obviously your father was a gift to anybody who yeah. knew him. But, you know, you're not the most patient person I've ever no. met. And, <laughs> like, you can be short-tempered. Yes. You can be, like, pissed off if people aren't, yes. their competence isn't, yes. you know. <laughs> and, like, you with your dad were the embodiment of yeah. patience and grace. Beyond. So how did you do that? Like, and I relate to this as a very <laughs> impatient person. Like, how did you, was that an active practice or yes. did it just come? Okay. It was a practice because there were certain days and also because he, because of his age, he would repeat things a lot and ask certain things. And I was like, wait, what? I just told you, right? Do you remember? And then I would catch myself. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know what? And then I'd go right into his world. No, you know, I don't know where that is. And then he'd ask me again five minutes later and I just, I'd go into his world. And then his world, I realized was very calm. And very, it was very innocent. Peaceful, yeah. He's very, mm -hmm. very peaceful. And, but patience, it was something that I, yeah, I don't have that in spades. And it was a really good, this was a definite trial mm. for me. It was a trial. It was a real, this is a test from above. And, and let's see how you do with it now. And some days I did better than other, but I will say in 20 months that I had with him, I am changed for the better. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, what I miss now, I was always rushing around and doing things. What I miss most about him now is I miss making him a plate. Mm. You know, I miss having a meal with him and having him repeat stories to me over and over again that were so important because it was interesting, which you're so great at, is that about trauma and teaching everybody that listens to you and reads all your stuff about trauma, his trauma from his childhood I didn't, like, he kept repeating all these things mm. when he was seven and eight and ten. And Ted and I would listen to these stories the first nine months, and I finally looked at Ted, and he, I said, this is unresolved exactly. trauma. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh, we're going to listen to this, and then we're going to give our advice in the moment and see how he takes it in. And then one day, I swear to you, one day, he said the same thing every day, ten times a day about his childhood. 
One day it stopped because we had taken it, we had listened to it, we had mm -hmm. honored it. I said, oh, that must have felt this way. Oh, that must have hurt your feelings. Oh, how hard was that? And he was able to answer. Mm. And, and then part of his being able to reflect and, and then own it and then be able to tell himself, mm -hmm. yes, that really happened. And I would say, and that movie's no longer playing. Mm -hmm. It's over. Aren't you happy it's over? Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. It's such a good lesson because, you know, when somebody is there, right, and just whatever is, as you say, unresolved is kind of coming unstuck and coming up for them to process through. Like, again, I, I don't think in our culture we have the tools to do that readily. Like we're mm -hmm. not taught, Hey, when something really difficult happens, like make sure you release yes. it and talk about it and yes. it's okay. Yes. And move it through your body. Move it through your, move it through your body. And it was so interesting to see those, like he, he, it was such a lesson in trying to process through things as they happen yeah. because you, you could see these, it was like a refrain of something that would come back yeah. to him, yes. you know? And, yes. and, and sometimes after dinner, Brad and I would say like, I wonder, you know, cause some things were sort of more clear. Like he would yes. tell the story about Emmett Till yes. Went yes. over and over. over and over. And that was like an easy encapsulation mm -hmm. to understand like what this man's struggle mm -hmm. was, what Emmett Till represented mm -hmm. to him. But then some of them were, hard to like find where the where it was going well what the trauma was like yes. what, what he was trying to resolve say, yes you know because they yes. were sort of more gentle stories but yes. he was so so stuck on them in a yes. way and he yes and he loved it's funny because every time you know we get in the car and i tell him we were going to your house and he's like oh okay okay and he was always excited for the, whatever you're going to make for dinner and he loved that you'd laugh at his jokes and your children that was that made him the happiest because you know if if your kids were making a joke or just saying something about school but he, you know he'd zoom in and it brought him back to his innocence a little bit and just remembering even though he didn't have the easiest childhood at all and didn't have a you know, did great time in school, but he loved listening to those stories. And when he would go into, to your point about, we didn't know where he was 
getting to, I think there was a part of him where he couldn't believe his luck. Mm. He couldn't believe his blessing. He, he just couldn't. There was a lot of stories that I realized they're not really landing in his mind because it's like, how did this happen? How, why, why, would you, why, why would they pick me? Why me? I didn't have this formal education, you know, and then I would say, I said, that's what it means when they say people are blessed. It's, and, or very fortunate or lucky or what have you, but, but you were ready. You were ready, Dad, and it was your destiny, and you actually stepped into it, and you ran your race. It's incredible. And the more and more I said that to him, I could tell that I, once he looked at life that way, I said, Dad, you always told me to stay in the arena. He'd always say, every time I'd get down or depressed, he'd say, stay in the game. You got to stay in the game, girl. Stay in the game. And I told him, I said, and you stayed in your game. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you went off the side a couple of times. You had to sit out a couple of times. But you always got back into the game. And I think a lot of his processing was also not really accepting, not really truly honoring, I would say, the life that he had like he I don't think he just it, it was incomprehensible yeah, to him I mean I'm it not, was just incomprehensible to him even when he watched the black godfather he was like can you believe I did all that I'm like a scrambled egg I just am all over the place you know he he but he's he's fascinated by it but I think he couldn't comprehend of where did I get this grit how did I get this grit where does this come from and I said it's in your soul I guess where does it come from think, some people have really tough childhoods and their outcome are not like Clarence Avon. I know. And then some have been through even worse and they they show up every day in life Mm -hmm. and they serve and they, I mean, I've worked with social workers when I used to help children in, in South Central and the social workers would tell me their trauma that they went through with their life. And they'd say, oh, I have three master's degrees, but you know what? I'm going to come back because my social worker was the only rainbow I ever had. And so I want to come back and do this. And I, they overcame their, you know what I mean? It was like, I need to, part of my healing is actually helping others who've gone through the same thing. But they all had one theme, which was they had the grit, which is not quitting. You could pause and stop, but they... They shifted. They just shifted their mindset. But does that come, do you think, from your ancestors? Does that come from Yeah, your... I think so. I do. I really do. My mom would always say, and some one of my friends always says, now the best way you can honor people who came before you and people who had it really, really rough, the best way you can honor them is to really enjoy your life and be ha- make a significant life. It's not about fame or money or this. Mm-hmm. Have a significant life. Yeah. Try to create peace where you are in your life and your family and your friends because that's what everyone's going to say about you when you're gone is how did you make them feel and what was so funny about you or how did you show up for people. We don't take anything with us, no. nothing. And that's the one thing I really, we all know that, but when my mom was gone, it was just so fast and violent and vicious, and she was just gone. Yeah. But everything of hers was there. Everything. And so I'd look at her, you know, her calendar, and she had plans that day. That was a tough thing to look at. Yeah. You know? Very like, tough. Oh, gosh. Okay. She was leaving here at 1130. And someone just... Yeah. With a snap of their fingers. Yeah. What is it like you know, to have 
a more complicated, like of the two parents, the more complicated relationship when they die? You know, it's, that's a really good question. It's interesting because I'll say this. Had my mom and I not had that conversation at our last birthday lunch, I do not, because I was able to say to her, mom, it's complicated until it's no longer complicated. Until we all just let go. So I'm just declaring today that we no longer have a complicated relationship. And she was like, really? I said, it's just whatever. And I said, I'm going to take the love and I'm going to take the lessons. And it didn't mean that she was any less complicated. She was totally Jackie and wacky. Like she wasn't changing, which I, she was, this is who I am. This is how I get through life. And I am a really good person, but I am going to take accountability Mm. for the times that I have been inappropriate and for the times that I have hurt your soul, which was great. Mm. So that helped because- Why did it feel like when she said that? Freeing. Mm. I felt acknowledged. I felt completely seen and it just healed so much of that little girl inside of me of always asking, does she get it? Does she understand what she's doing? Does she, I know she doesn't mean it, but why did she keep doing this? And then once she said it, that little girl inside was like, oh, okay. She, she saw it and she owned, you know, the accountability is really everything, you know, it really is. And then, but my dad had such a different passing and it was so peaceful. Mm-hmm. And at home and surrounded by his books and his music and his art and his things. And it was just, it was, it was such a different time and a different way. And I thought about transitioning to the other side in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I was more purposeful with him and making sure I said everything that I wanted to say to him. Mm-hmm. And the beauty that I felt great about is I, I said to Ted, I said, I didn't have to say sorry for any, I didn't have any regrets with him. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to say, oh, I'm sorry when I did this. I'm sorry when I said that, which I'm so grateful for. And, but I was able to hopefully try to really help him understand how magnificent his soul mm-hmm. was, especially given what he was given. And talk about making lemonade. I mean, it was. You know, and and I think part of his healing his trauma through his life was he loved seeing people's dreams come true. That was healing for him. Everyone would say, isn't he tired? Isn't he tired? I'm sure he was exhausted. But I I think he felt if I don't do this, which makes me feel good in the moment, Mm -hmm. and it does make a difference and there is a positive ripple effect, I don't know who he would have become, really, to be honest with you. You know, because he, he, he would battle when he didn't have a lot of things to do or make something happen for somebody. His mind would go a little nuts, yeah. you know. It was a lot of trauma. I mean, being born in 1931, America, is, it's, it's you know, and segregation of any kind for any race, for, for male, for female, segregation is a very heavy energy because there is really no freedom in anything. I think people just thought like, oh, you can't sit at a lunch counter. No, it's everything. It's there's so you don't feel the full freedom. And and again, women of all color, people around the world now, there are women that just feel completely, you know, because of their government, because of their country that hasn't moved forward, mm-hmm. no freedom. Yeah. And he found his own. He found his and, own. And he gave you guys so much yes. freedom. Yes. And it's important. So what was it like growing up with like 
Uncle Bill Withers <laughs> and all these amazing. Oh, I love Bill. All these amazing artists that you were you. I mean, we are a little bit similar in that that I grew up yes. in a house with, you know, yes. artists and yes. famous people coming yes. through. And I guess at the time I didn't really fully realize like who this person was or that person, yeah. but. But maybe because mine were all like theater and movie people, it was different. But I think like the amazing music people that you were. It was the best. I mean, I will say, because they were really good people, actually. They were good people. And the music was great at the time. And, but I did have, the only time I felt a little insecure, as I got older, I remember saying to my brother, we have to figure out what we're going to do. Oh my goodness. you know, I, I, all of a sudden, like when I didn't you grow know, up, yeah, I was like, what am I going to do? And then I did say, Jerry Moss from a Records, he was at the house. I just read about this the other day, and he said to me, it was so great. He said, I was 13 maybe, and he said, we were going around the table. I was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're older? And I thought, I was so indignant. I was like, I know that I really want to be my own girl. And my mom looked at me like, and my dad said, you know, he rolled his eyes. My mom rolled his eyes. But Jerry got, he goes, you really want to be your own girl? I said, yes. And he winked. And he goes, like Stevie Nicks. I go, yes, yes. And Tom Petty, I go, they have that song. And he said, it was so great. And he looked at me and he said, I knew when you said you really wanted to be your own girl, you didn't know what that meant, but you were going to be your own person. You were, I wanted to own my individuality. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I think you knew exactly like. what you meant. You just didn't quite know <laughs> that you were know. saying yeah, what you know. meant. <laughs> I didn't know. And he, but the beauty was because of that moment, he would then send me all these albums, you know, the early releases of all his music and everything that was coming out of A&M. And I fell in love with the police and I fell all these great, all rock and roll was my thing. But he would take me to the concerts and he would talk to me about music and the healing energy of music and just like theater, it's real. it's real and it tells a story and you connect with it and you think, oh, I feel that way. I have felt that way. Or, or oh, I didn't know that's how people feel at this time in their lives. You know, whether it's heartbreak or celebration or a rebirth of some sort, music kind of is the equalizer mm-hmm. for everybody. And it's, it is the universal language. It is. And I think it's a beautiful language. And, and then, of course, I ended up working for him. First job out of college, I worked for A&M Records because I found my passion. I just didn't know where to put it. But Jerry, thank God, he would ask questions of where do you see yourself and what do you want to do? And, and he wasn't pressuring. He was genuinely curious. Mm. And I just loved all of their energy. Mm. I was very, very lucky to be around people that were doing things and they also were all very philanthropic people. Yeah. They were all giving back to something before it was a word to be philanthropic. Right. No one was looking for, you know, an article in the LA Times. People were just yeah. serving. People were giving back. People they knew, oh, we're really fortunate. And there are a lot of people that we can benefit. So do you think that that thread that ran through your life is why you kind of got into serving and yes. our government and yes. politics. hundred percent. Tell me about the evolution of that. Because I think it's, you know, my parents loved politics and they got involved very early and my dad thought it was very important. He said, you know, everybody should represent themselves at the table. So 
you know, my dad, for example, was like, I can't, you know, why would I talk? You should have, if you're talking about gay rights, you should have gay people at the table. That would be, you know what I mean? So he was like, so please don't talk about my rights and then not have someone that looks like me at the table. And so Tom Bradley was the first black mayor of Los Angeles. That was my first fundraiser. At my Is the airport house. still named after him? Yes. Okay. yes. <laughs> and Tom Bradley International. Yep. And he was this grand being. I mean, tall and handsome and graceful. And my mom had me, you know, do all the check-in and write everyone's names or whatever. But I would listen to everyone and everyone's concerns and really trying to move society forward. And the energy then was very different than it is now. The energy then was very victorious. Mm. It was very solution-based. Whereas there was no, I don't, I, can you believe someone's doing this? Can you believe the Republic? It wasn't like that. These are the issues we want to work on, and who knows so-and-so, and who can get to this senator, and who can get to this person, and how can we move Los Angeles forward? And so it was a different time, but I loved every second of it. I mean, Senator Ted Kennedy would come to the House, and it was, oh, this is great. I mean, sometimes I was like, okay, again, how many are we going to have? But I didn't realize, like my girlfriend in college, she was my roommate, and she, I said, I have to go to L.A., I'll be back. My mom's having this thing, and she's making me come and it's for Senator Kennedy. And I, and I kind of did this. I go, it's like I've been five times. And she went, what? Are you kidding me? And I said, do you want to come with me? And she did. And I just sent her the photo the other day. Wow. And that was 30 years ago. Wow. And she still remembers, because she was a poli-sci major. And she's from South Central. Wow. And she studied th- that. She studied the family. And she just studied Senator Kennedy. And she was obsessed with him. So the fact that... The universe can just move things around, and her roommate's mom just happened to be having an event. And I sent her that photo the other day, and she, it just makes her cry every time, you know? Mm-hmm. And But it was good because they were doing things for the people. So you approached your political career probably with a lot of optimism. A lot of optimism. What do you do when you're an ambassador? Like, you wake up, and what <laughs> happens? Like... Do you have CIA clearance? <laughs> like, wh- who makes your agenda? Yeah, it's, you know, the embassies are kind of fantastic. And the work that the American people do all around the world, it is commendable. And people, I mean, every embassy, it's, they're bustling 24 hours everywhere around the world. And, you know, the number one thing is, you know, make sure wh- whatever Americans in the country you are protecting that American. You care about the American. So as a, as a brand, like you're protecting yes, the American brand? Yeah, and, 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 and people physically. I mean, it's everything. But the yes, I as Do you an do a class to like the, how? There, there is a class. Is there? There, there is a class, but it's it teaches you different diplomacy skills and people don't have them or camera. Or, or, and it teaches, and then you go into real things of you have a country team. So your country team in most places, you know, you'll have, you know, Customs and Border Patrol, and you'll have the FBI, and you'll have DEA, and I had Coast Guard, and these men and women really do phenomenal work, and they are a different version of a humanitarian, but they do that work, especially the Coast Guard. They were fantastic. They were all great, and they worked really hard, and they all do, and it's it was probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I, I loved working for President Obama. I loved serving him. Of course. I loved serving the administration. But it was still, it's, it, it was something new. And thank God I had been around ambassadors. And 
been around it, but it was still, I had to get my own sea legs and I had to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be and how I wanted to represent America in the Bahamas. Mm. What did yeah. your parents think when you were oh. given that Oh my God. <laughs> they were, I think, again, my dad was in a state of disbelief, but so excited. And my mom was, I mean, she loved it because my mom was all about the title and the and the bells the and the whistles and oh, the whole thing. She, oh, I'm going to make your invitations <laughs> and we're going to have these flowers. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have these people come and visit you. But it was great because the first thing she said to me is, okay, where's the orphanage when you get there? And because she was so involved with the Special Olympics and loved the Special Olympics, it was just ingrained in me. So the first meeting I took was not with a minister, like I should have, but I wanted to meet the president of the Special Olympics in the Bahamas and and pledge my devotion to him and to all his children. And we worked with them a lot, and it was great. And the embassy always did, but I wanted to expand it a little bit and do things on the front lawn and have the kids at the residence. And it was just, it was the best. Would the you do it again? Oh, yes, absolutely. Would you run for public office? Oh, I hate you for asking that. <laughs> I I have thought about it, and then I look at the landscape, and I think, mm, I don't know, because I really don't know where I fit in, because I honestly look at everything. I go, I don't even know where my part, where, where is everybody? But is isn't that exactly why it would be so good for you to do it? <laughs> yes, if there was a real independent party. I don't know. I mean, look, I do... I love being around politicians. I love being a problem solver, as you know. I'm always trying to find the solution, yep. and I'm always trying to be fair and see all sides. And I do love serving the people. So you're built for it. If it's if it's in the stars, then I won't <laughs> say no to it. But I really don't know what I would run for. There's just let's discuss. Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> Not right now. We can put okay. Now. You know, you just reminded me of when you were was was at a fundraiser when your dad your parents you know that was the only time I met your mother and she was um, very excited to go to your house she goes I picked Gwyneth Paltrow's house (laughs) I said oh did you mom and she said you're not going to be in town but we're going to Gwyneth Paltrow's house I said okay (laughs) and you're and when we said hello to them your dad told Moses that he was Barack Obama It's so Clarence. And he came and goes, oh, her little son was at the front door. And I said, I'm Barack Obama. And he said, no, you're not. He said, he said, he just chuckled. But I love that you come. Then we came full circle. I know. And then he was able to see Moses as a teenager. Oh, yeah. You know. And, and really be in his and life. Yes. And yeah. music. And he just, he loved, he just loved your children. So I wanted to ask you too, because it's so inspiring to be around other couples who are in good marriages. Yeah. And, you know, obviously no marriage is perfect and we all have our ups and downs, but, you know, you and Ted have this very, very strong Mm -hmm. bond, connection, friendship. And I wondered if during this past couple of years, like, has sort of the point or the purpose of marriage become more clear to you like how have you leaned on him during I thank God for Ted as I'll start saying because he 
as you know, I mean, he's solid. Ted is just, he is, he's a solid person. Yeah. And he shows up for anybody he loves. He's, he's a good he's a man. Good, he's a good man. He's a good man. He really is a good man. And he, he sees everything and feels everything. And this was very, you know, his father passed away on November 12th. Suddenly, we got a phone call the next morning on the 13th that his dad had passed away in his sleep. It's probably a heart attack or something. And, you know, his dad was happy. He he was, you know, he was in an assisted living place, but healthy, you know, he physically healthy. He could move around, had girlfriends, you know what I mean? It was great. And it was very, it was just such a shock of, we just weren't, we were planning his 80th birthday. So we were planning for a couple months after to do a big 80th. And I kept saying to Ted, I go, I don't know, I think we should do something before. And it was just so weird. And then we got this call. And then I watched Ted, you know, grieve, mm-hmm. really grieve. As, and he's, he's a junior, so he's named after him, and he's very close to his father. And then two weeks later, this, he wakes me up, get to Cedars, your mom's been shot. But I was planning, so the conversations I was having with my mother that week prior to the intruder breaking in were all about Ted Sr., all about she wanted to know what flowers are you getting, purchase these flowers, make sure everybody gets it, gets to take an arrangement home and do this on the menu. And she was so into it. She said, you know, I'm going to, I'll try to fly up with you guys. I think I can if we get back at this time because, I, you know, I've got to go to the tower bar with my friends. It's okay. <laughs> And then when this happened to my mom, so I was in the middle of planning his funeral, and then this happens to my mom, so I couldn't even go to my father-in-law's burial because I was just in the thick of it. And I really looked at Ted one day, and I said, we have to make a commitment to each other right now because we both know statistically this could go really the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And we would have every right if we just if everything just kind of blew up and it's too much. Yeah. But we didn't sign up for that. We signed up for the mountain and the valley. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be with you and you're going to be with me. And we looked at each other every night and we said, we don't know how we're going to get through this, but we are committed to each other that we're not going to leave each other's side and we're going to let each other grieve in our own way and we're just going to truck through. It's, it, it was... And watching him leave... To go to his dad's funeral was, I just felt, I didn't feel like a failure, but I just thought, I can't, I, I can't believe I'm sending him off by, him, by right. himself with the kids. I mean, at least, but then I was able to call our daughter, Sarah, and I said, Sarah, you've got to be me now. You've got to get, I want you to get there, get organized, be early, say hello to the guests. I became so my mother to Sarah, yeah. and she did, and everyone called me and said, they said Sarah was mm. the full, beautiful adult woman that she just kind of stepped into it and did her thing Mm. but it was hard I mean it was because it was Ted's close to my mom I mean she she and she showed up for his kids which he loved about her so much she's every graduate all graduations birthday parties knew all their friends you know she spent she 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 invested in them Mm. yeah yeah so you, did you guys kind of just sort of take turns falling apart yeah. and then yes. being there for the other yes. one? And yes. And we had different kind of, Ted's grief is very quiet mm-hmm. and very introverted. And so I, I would see his grief on him more. 
And mine was a lot of screaming sometimes and wailing. And Or if he'd ask a question, it would trigger something. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you? You know, and it was, and we both had to figure out the rhythm of our grief. Yeah, I had to figure out his rhythm of grief, and he had to figure out my rhythm of grief, which was probably the most that was the most difficult to really because my dad's was my dad's grief was different yeah ted's grief was one way mine the children so it was a lot of everyone had their own way of looking at each other around the table do we bring mom up do we not bring her up how how when we bring her up we have to do we have to tiptoe around dad how do we do this you know yeah and also i don't know in the book you mentioned sort of people feeling the need to come up to all of you, especially your father, oh. and express their grief yes. over your mother. Yes. It is, I was thinking it's, it's complicated, it's com- right? It's complicated. I've done it. I have I have not seen someone and I'd say, oh my gosh, I've been meaning to call you and I wanted to say I'm so sorry about your mom. We all do that. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your grandfather or whatever. But I had to learn also, and I've learned through this, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry God, for all the times I've said this to people because... When people get up and out, and if they're out... When it's tender. Yes. it's They're out, though. They want to be out. Right. My dad wanted to be out. He wanted to be out for his friend Irving and Shelley. He wanted to celebrate them. And he was excited. And then... But human nature stepped in. And so there was a lot of, oh, my God, Clarence, tell me what happened. I haven't seen you in 10 months. How do you feel? this? And then he... he I just watched him shrink Mm -hmm. and then he became i don't want to come out like this anymore the big concern for him was is this my new identity now right that my wife was murdered and this is so tragic this tragedy happened is that the only thing people are going to see or are they going to laugh with me again Mm -hmm. are they going to want to have lunch with me and talk about their children are they going to are they going to want to move forward with me so i think that we had to find the rhythm in that Mm -hmm. and then when i did explain to one person i just said listen i've done this too i'm not judging you i've done this or i've identified a friend or or made it about whatever challenge she was going through i'd make a birthday toast and i think back now and i cringe of i made the birthday toast about whatever challenge she was going through and she overcame instead of her birthday Right. Instead of her birthday. So what's the what's the right you thing know? to do then in that scenario, right? If I you think, wanna... you know what helped me a lot? I loved in those situations when people would come up to me and I could see the trauma on their face, but they would come up and they'd put their hand on my back and just say, I love you and your family so much. Mm-hmm. I love you guys so much. It is a healing bomb mm-hmm. like no other. I love you is everything. The text that just said... I love you. Don't, I mean, the way you and Candace and everybody showed up was that, which was, okay, we're not even asking you anything. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what we know is necessary, what we feel is necessary, and we're going to let you figure it out. But the beauty of that was it didn't give me an agenda to then figure out what everybody's purpose was going to be. So the beauty was that you guys kind of just landed as my you know original first responders and just landed at my house. And I loved, I remember you and Candace, that's what, I remember you guys sitting at the, the kitchen, kitchen island yeah. with your computer out. And I said, well, don't you have work? You're like, I'm working from here. I've got it. Go up and take a shower and go do this and we'll cook lunch. But all those things of everyone showing up with such love and then using love as a verb. 
doing things mm -hmm. and being love and doing love and mm -hmm. that was very very healing mm -hmm. to me and but but the the text that i receive of i love you and mm -hmm. when people said that when we were out or i love you and your family or i'm thinking about you or i'm praying for you those were great because mm -hmm. it it just covers what you're feeling yeah and then the other times just tell me what happened again because i can't wrap my head around this but Again, it's not to hurt you, but it does rip the scab off. Yeah. And so then to I'd be mindful. Yeah, just be mindful. And again, I've learned uh, that the greater the tragedy, the less said is the best. Mm. Just the less, just don't, just I love you. That's really good advice. Yeah, just I love you, checking right. in, just... You know, but the, the it's it's it because it's so traumatic mm -hmm. and it's so heavy that your brain has to figure out where to compartmentalize yeah. everything and where to put it, what file to put it in, and you know, I would go back to the file and why, 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 and why this, and and you know that you're never going to get the answer. And then you're back in the and there, your nervous system's had, back in oh, the trauma. I mean, I had veins that I never even knew I had because they were all oh just God. bulging out of my body because there was that much stress yeah. and overthinking. I mean, I replayed that evening over and over in my head as if I was there. It was part of the trauma. It was weird wow. trauma. I didn't know that was coming, but it did. And then, it, and then in about nine months, it left. What is the way through? Like for somebody listening who's, you know, traversing a really difficult or traumatic or grief build yeah. moment or chapter in their lives like what is the best way through something like that I actually think the only way out of anything is going through it mm -hmm. so really going through it so doing the work you know getting the help you need talking to somebody but somebody really great that can move you from because none of us like the valley the valley is horrible you know, the, and life is not full of mountaintops. Mm -hmm. We have mountaintops, but we our lessons are always in the valley, always. And the valley is tough. And I would say that it's so worth having the intention to heal your past and then take the energy and create a new future. Mm -hmm. It is so worth it. It is not easy, mm -hmm. but it is worth it. Your life is worth it. And my dad always used to say, life is for the living. It sounds great, but it really is. And being alive is challenging. Being alive is beautiful. Being alive is a blessing. And being alive sometimes feels like a curse. It's all wrapped up. Mm -hmm. You think about everybody who came before us, people in your family history, and, and everybody who has struggled in some way and injustices put upon them, whether you're black or Jewish or gay or anything. And you look back at the history, and that has helped me a lot too, which is when you look back at history and really study it and honor it, there was obviously a mindset of these groups of people. You're back to resilience, where we started. They did not, they did not, they did not give up. They thought about us. And by the way, we are the promise sitting here. Yeah. We are the promise. We're actually sitting here with our rights and we're free we're friends. It's, this was not easy. This was not easy to get to. Mm. People really got hurt. Some people died for this. A lot of people died for this. So it's real. So I think history helps a lot too of, you know, how do we get through this? And then sometimes you don't even know the answer. You just have to have the intention of, 
I used to say to myself all the time, I still do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm just going to have the intention that I'm going to put one foot forward and let's see where it gets me. But it's more than that with you because you yeah. have incredible faith. Yes. Like uh, my fa- yes. of all my friends. Yeah. It's everything for me. I mean, faith to me, if I didn't have my faith, I was, my friend Jonah and I always say, Ooh, he calls me. He's like, girl, what would we do without our faith? That we would be just down and out, <laughs> down and out for the count. <laughs> and, or even Amy, you know, sometimes I'll text Amy and I'll say, I'm doing this. She's like, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> just, we don't, I just give everything to the divine. I try to align myself mm-hmm. With a higher power, and I think anybody for them, it's you can call it whatever you want if you want to say it. It, it doesn't matter. There, there is a you know I I want to align with the creative energy of the universe because I think it's a phenomenal energy, obviously, and it it is it, it is, and and I do think it's a force of good. Mm. And yes, people do bad things, but I don't believe that when people say, oh well. You know, if the universe is so good, why do people do bad things? Well, people do bad things because they choose to do bad things. People sometimes misuse their free will. Mm -hmm. And we've seen people come from the worst circumstances and who've created beautiful lives Mm -hmm. for other people, for themselves, or significant lives, or lives of gentleness and kindness. Mm -hmm. And and then we've both seen people who have had everything in the world given to them and are miserable. It's not enough. Yeah. Miserable. And that's a choice too. You know, it's a hard thing to say, but it is true. I mean and, and I, you know, this is the thing. I am a I'm an optimistic person. I think my soul's genuinely optimistic. Very much so. But I am an optimistic person who also sometimes gets very sad. And sometimes I feel like giving up. I'm still an optimistic person. I just feel like giving up. And I feel like shutting down, or I feel sad, or I feel betrayed. I still go through the human emotions, but I have to decide first who my soul is and how I want to show up in the world, and not the icing, like, oh, I want to wear these clothes and do this and work here and do that. No, who as a person, as a soul, do I want to show up mm-hmm. as in the world? And I think that has helped me, and my faith for sure. I mean, I do pray every day. I meditate every day, and I believe me, I notice a difference when I don't. Mm-hmm. Everybody around me notices a difference when I don't, when it does help with patience, mm-hmm. and it helps with being merciful, Yeah, you know, because I have to remind myself, oh, yeah, we're all human. This is, you know, my mom was great at that. She, I'd say, why would they do this? She said, I don't know. Why are you not good at this? And she's like, there's no judgment. Everyone's going through something. You know, like I say in the book, my grandmother used to say, everyone can throw out their problems on a table. And I promise you, when you see everyone's problems on a table, you are going to rush to grab yours back because you don't realize what people are going through or different challenges. Our culture now is so focused on the icing and the flashing lights and the martinis at the beach, but it's not about the cake anymore. It's not about the soul. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point, like, Something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is in terms of this humanness that you're talking about and how, you know, we are supposed to be all these things and we're supposed to be in grief sometimes Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be shitty to people sometimes Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be incredibly generous Mm -hmm. and gracious other times. Like to be on this planet is to 
fully, you know, 100%. run the full spectrum of what 100%. it is to be human. And even understanding that like the worst thing that you can imagine a human being doing, like what befell your mother, mm-hmm. like sometimes it helps me to think, you know, we all have a sliver of that in us because we're human. We're we human. all have hundred percent the capability to be like the darkest 100%. expression or the lightest. hundred percent. And to your point, like that free will, that's, yeah. that's what the mastery is about on, yes. on yes. earth. And that's why I think, you know, I, I admire your prayer. I admire your faith. I loved, I told you in the book how there are all these beautiful Bible verses. Yeah. I didn't grow up with that. Right. And I was like, this is mystical poetry. Yeah, like, this just, is, no, that's why I look at it. I look at scripture. I don't, attach religion to it just happens to be from the, but it, it was like scripture is helpful it it reminds you of what it's like being yes. human and yes. it teaches you all scripture from all around the world from all different cultures when you really go back and look at it i mean my mom would read this buddhist scripture to me and sometimes i again it was like oh i never thought about things like that that's beautiful or things from the bible that i put in the book i just look at it as really beautiful poetry but that has an answer mm-hmm. or that has a breadcrumb to get you closer to mm-hmm. where you want to be and it does say you're not going to know everything you're not going to have all the answers and so that's why you have to trust i mean i have friends who aren't really faith-based but they'll say but you know what i do trust the universe i i've gotten to this point now as i get older where i have to get into this mindset of I'm going to be a person who is going to trust that whatever is happening for me is is going to be for my highest good some way. It may not feel like it now, but the door that closes on you or you get fired from a job, but then you don't see what's coming around the corner, you know, and or the boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you and you're devastated and you think you'll never be happy again. But then we all know that once you go through that and you have a focus to get to the other side, and then there's something that's so perfect for you and so wonderful for you, and but you still have to learn the lessons and you still have to be accountable. But it's it's the beauty of life of that. You know, my dad always says, hey, listen, nothing remains the same. <laughs> and he's right. Like all things is that nothing remains Nothing remains the same on Earth. It just doesn't. And no. I think we have to really remember that we're on Earth and kind of what kind of happens in this realm. Yeah. Gosh, who was that female poet that said, she said, I'm forgetting her name now, menopause brain. She said, change is the only poem. 100%. It's the guarantee. So you've been through a lot in these past two years. And... When you look back now, having sort of, I imagine writing this book on some level must have been cathartic and very edifying. So as this kind of stopping point from the last chapter, you know, of these two years, like Mm -hmm. what, what have you learned about yourself through this particular trial? I have learned that deciding on who I want to be and how I want to show up. But each day, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself as I'm going to, you know, I'm a brave and courageous and this, this, this person. And some days you just don't feel that, right? Mm -hmm. But I, 
I learned that I'm much, much stronger than I thought I was. My mom used to say it, but now I see what she meant of, she'd always say, oh, there's a crisis, call Nicole, because she'll, she, she actually flourishes in, because I want to see a positive end result. That's just my personality. Yeah. It's just like the way I was wired. But what I've learned is that everything is so precious, truly. And I know we all say, oh, life is a gift and live in the present and all that. But then what I've really learned is, oh, right, I, I have a responsibility to, I never really realized that peace was going to be the most important thing I ever wanted to feel. Mm. That's what I've learned through this, that for me, my happiness, the think you'll be happy, is peace. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Nicole Avant. Her book, Think You'll Be Happy, is out on October 17th. I hope you pre-order a copy today. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. 